Welcome back to another episode of Out of Blank Podcast. Mr. Coogan, it is a pleasure to have you back. It's been a year. I think it's been a good, solid year, or hopefully it was good for you. I mean, yeah, it's, it's been a good year for me. Seems like it went by in a blur, to be honest with you. Everything seems like a blur. <laughs> well, would, you like to, would you like to reintroduce yourself to everyone out there listening? Sure. I'm Peter Coogan, or Dr. Peter Coogan, if that makes you feel better. Uh, I am currently the communication lab coordinator at Washington University in St. Louis at the Brown School. So I work with students on papers, presentations, academic skills, and academic integrity, how to be a better student. But I'm on this podcast because of my background in comics and superheroes. Uh, my book, Superhero Secret Origin of a Genre, is actually getting a reissue very soon. And uh, I also run the Comics Arts Conference. I'm one of the co-founders of it and co-chairs of it. I run it along with my co-chairs at the San Diego Comic-Con and at WonderCon. How do you think people perceive comics? Like on the surface level, obviously it's a very big cultural trend right now. You know, that that's a good question. And in a sense, you would think it's changing. And it has changed for a lot of people. Um, you know, but other people haven't paid any attention to it. and don't really know that it's changed. You know, there's still the the association with superheroes, which is factually inaccurate because the biggest comics publisher now is Scholastic, you know? And most comics, a lot of, most people who read comics read them electronically, not in paper form anyway. And so the idea that people, and they read them in, you know, trade paperbacks or longer form stories or ongoing stories that, you know, don't get collected. My daughter, who's uh, 17 years old, loves comics, but not Marvel or DC and not superheroes, but all kinds of uh, manga and uh, online stuff. And uh, she comes uh, across them through all sorts of different apps. And that's her relationship. And she has a really solid relationship with comics. In fact, her and her sister uh, are making a comic book right now. And they, it was fun because they, they drew the page and I got into critiquing it from a sequential art perspective uh, and they improved it, but they are doing that and they don't have the background with comics that I do at all. They have their own because, you know, I'm 58 and they're, you know, 17 and 21. So the, there isn't a way in which people perceive comics. There's many ways in which many people perceive comics. And it's different now. You know, one of the things is we're, it's kind of like we're in another golden age of comics, or we're always in a golden age of comics in some ways, because the ways people can get them, the, the kinds of people who can participate in them, who can create them, who can buy them, who can sell them, who can read them, you know, it, it's really kind of everybody now, but not everybody knows it. Although I'm going to make an analogy to gaming. How many people think of themselves as gamers? Well, not that many. But how many people play games? Farmville and, you know, um, I forget what that one was called during COVID, the one on the little island. You know. The Clash Clans is a big one. Yeah, yeah, Clash Clans, exactly. And um you know, uh, my wife in bed uh, to go to sleep has a little, it's like Tetris, but it's in a square rather than a tube, you know? And so she moves the pieces around, and put, but she does that. It's a, it's a sleeping aid, right? It's a relaxation aid because it for, it makes you con, it makes you focus. And my daughter also has a, um, 
a sleep aid game, you know, that, that, uh, again, she has to, because she has to focus on it. So my daughter's actually going to college for game design. She's a gamer, but so is her mother, you know, but only one of them thinks of themselves as a gamer. So that's, I think, people's relationship with comics now is that people encounter them in lots of different ways. Um, and it's not, there is still an identity, um, you know, sort of Scott McCloud's tribal notion, but there's also just ways in which people encounter comics just in the course of their day and enjoy them that way. And just think of them as another entertainment uh, medium. And that, of course, is kind of where we wanted to go the whole time, is just to make comics normal. And we're kind of there, but I don't think we've sort of all realized it. Does it shift between generations? Have you noticed the comics change with the generational, I guess, differences that we like my generation compared to my parents' generation compared to my grandparents' generation? I mean, looking back at older comic books, I'm interested in the more... I wouldn't call, I mean, not the, just the superhero ones, but more on the basis of the ones that have more of like what seems like real kind of depictions of the times, whether it's fighting the Nazis, whether it's something that's going on, something that I love history. So that's where my interest is obviously going to be. Spark Graphic Universe is a good example um, with their comics based on lore, mythology. I find those pretty interesting or just their art style. I wouldn't know if you would call them comics, but to me, they're comics because they're that same quality that you would see in maybe of the stereotypical comic book. But I'm wondering if with today's generation, I have a lot of friends that are interested in Naruto, some of my favorite. I, I or animes, I don't know if you call them comics, but you can get paper versions of them. Maybe my depiction of comics is a little bit different. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I'm Scott McCloud on the definition of comics, sequential artistry, uh, or sequential art, you know, art and sequence. But um, yeah, absolutely. So I think the, the, the thing you always have to remember is that distribution. This is always true of any art form, is that distribution matters, right? Distribution is the way in which people experience things because, you know, that that's literally how they get them. And so, um, you know, just like that idea that, or the fact that Scholastic is now the, the country's biggest publisher, you know, that's because they already had a way of distributing books, right? And then, you know, they brought in like Bone. Bone was one of Scholastic's biggest first graphic novels, right? Because people liked Bone. I got Bone just, you know, the comic book shop, but it doesn't make sense to sell it that way in the single issues, right? It makes sense to sell it in the big old book. And that's how my daughter, that's how my kids encountered Bone and loved it, just loved it, right? But they got it at school. Um, and then once that's established, you know, now people, there are comics artists um, who, you know, their primary market is through Scholastic, which is fantastic. And um, so every generation, you know, it changes the way we um, encounter any medium, right? Um, and, but what that also means is that the range of, genres and story types and creators is so big now um and it's just a fantastic thing and um you know i i, I really think that 
we as a you know as a society and as as people who identify with comics that's something i think that we're kind of again we're not that conscious of um well do you think people actually soak in anything from comics when they read them like the the average surface level people when they're reading a comic they're not just getting a fun story or depiction i mean i see many things that have changed that one important one i would think is usually you wait for like a weekly weekly release or something like that it's like with tv shows everyone gets excited for that next thing but now you can buy a lot of the older spider-man comics all in like a giant book where they have every single issue in there and it's like you're compacting all that fun into a short amount of time you get addicted for a week and then you never touch it again yeah well, that's true of, you know, again, what you're talking about is distribution, right? So think about, you know, TV, right? Um, I just got done watching season five of Fargo. Fantastic show. We watched it weekly. Um, on the other hand, uh, I'm, you know, I'm still in the first season, I you know, second season of Lock and Key, which I've been watching for a couple of years now because I watched it for a while and that we were watching it as a family and then kind of dropped it and um now I've come back to it to finish it everybody else finished it um and so that's a that's a different way of doing that and so with comics you know um I just read um the department of truth and I read it through hoopla um through the library right and so that's been out for years now I think the last one came out in 2022 um, or Once in Future King about uh, King Arthur. And, you know, I, I read that when it was over. So like, again, to my point is that comics now as a medium are like every other medium. And there's there's different ways you can do. There are people who do daily comics, you know, on the Web. Um, there are people who never there are people who never read a comic that's in paper. Um, you know, the the comic book shop is a medium of distribution. And, you know, just like we don't get our television over the air, you know, when they went to digital, um, digital over the air TV, I don't know, they just didn't build the antennas into the TV. And so we could only get some of the channels. So now we never watch over the air television because... We just watched through, you know, through the internet. So that's true of comics as well. We have many different ways of getting them, different schedules. Um, it's wonderful that you can go back and find older things collected. Um, there is a difference, though, in reading things weekly versus reading things in a collected way because... When you read things weekly or view things weekly or listen to things weekly, podcasts, um, you know, you're experiencing it as you go. And so it sort of accretes. Whereas when you binge, you could think of uh, collections or graphic novels as binging, right? Um, you have that more concentrated experience. But like you said, then you put it away and you move on to something else. Um, and it, 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 it doesn't have um, that sort of organic relationship with your brain um, where you know things because they're linked to when you read them and reading and rereading. 
Um, you know, back when I back when I bought Comics Weekly, um, you know, you'd read them and then reread them. And so, whereas you know now, if you buy comics in a um, in in graphic novel form or collections, you're unlikely because you now you always have something else to read. You're unlikely to read and reread things. So I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, but it's 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 my point about distribution is key to the way people experience art. Do you think that not just the platform of distribution, but also how the industry's kind of changed? Do you think it's more marketed instead of being on the essence of maybe an actual story? Like before it gave you things to connect to, like Stan Lee was the creator or with a bunch of other creators that were creating these independent universes or creating these franchises that eventually obviously get exploited by whatever you want to call capitalism. But if you really look at like, I don't know, everything now, like there's like 50,000 games on, that you can get for an iPhone on Naruto or any of these things. And they're just spending money apps. That's all they are. They they might be fun and entertaining, but it's all about here's 1099 for a gem pack. And damn, if I don't spend 1099 on a gem pack, but it's, it's become more commercialized. And I had a buddy of mine mention this to me where he would ask, is it an authentic app? I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's not going to scan your credit card or anything. He goes, no, but a lot of these apps just market the fandom. And they don't really care about the essence of the actual comic. And I realized I might not even be a true fan of some of these animes I enjoy. They just might be things I liked when I was a kid and I still enjoy, but not to the level of these guys do. Yeah, well, uh, you know, again, my my sort of through point is that comics are like anything else now. And and I think that's good. Yeah, there's there's commercial exploitation of IP. But that's that's universally true. And so um, then, you know, if that exploitation of IP allows for continued production um, or other, you know, other income streams that then allow people to keep making stuff, then that's good. You know, because it, it's sort of like um, with music now. It used to be that musicians went on tour to sell records. Now they release records to sell, you know, tickets to their yeah. concert. Um, and that's everybody. Um, you know, I, I doubt anybody is really making money off of uh, music anymore. Because, like, I don't, we have some CDs but not anything from the last 10 years. You can go to a pizza hut and find the jukebox thing and put some quarters in. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I get my music through Amazon Prime Music because I'm, I'm already paying for it. You know, I, 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 I understand that I'm obeying the monopoly, but, you know, we got it. Jeff Bezos figured it out, right? Uh, even if you don't like it, you still do it. Um, you know, we got it for the delivery and then, oh, I also watch stuff on Amazon Prime. And now, you know, I don't have Pandora or Spotify. I just have Amazon um, Music. So that, I, I remember years ago wishing there was a um, Netflix of comics. And then Comixology kind of came into that, but I, it its purchase model, you know, made it less attractive. I just wanted... I wanted access to kind of what was current. I wouldn't have minded any of like Marvel had a subscription app. 
and DC took longer to get theirs in and Marvel's was clunky. And, you know, I, I got a tablet, I got a 10 inch tablet, which is the size of a comic book. Um, and that's mostly how I read comics now, um, which, which means that the, the double page spread is kind of dead, you know, until I, I think that'll change um, when, again, the distribution medium changes. I, I, I remember years ago, somebody predicted you would have a, a piece of basically like a plasticized piece of paper that you could fold and make different sizes and that it would have these little um, balls in them, black and white, ball, you know, black and white, black on one side, white on the other. And then uh, anything you could put, you know, attach a drive, it would have a drive attached to it and it would flip the little, basically pixels, ink pixels. Um, and that would be black and white. And, you know, they can do that with color. And when that comes into play, where you're actually having, uh, um, you know, a kind of foldable plastic thing that's about, I don't know, 12 by 14 or something like that, then we'll get back to the double page spreads. And it'll be a different thing. Or, you know, once we get really wearable um, technology that's that's uh, that's comfortable, um, the double page spread will come back in that way. So, it, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, splash pages used to be the big thing, right? So you'd have a cover and then you'd open it up at splash page because when you're buying it off the stay, off the stands, opening it up to look at it, they'd want you to get excited about it. But then, um, you know, remember Marvel would, would release like six pages, right? Uh, as a teaser and then they started to do it so really the big thing would happen on that seventh page so you'd get led into it and so that would change stories or you know the six issue arc well why why do they tell stories in six issues well because that collects to a nice size so all art forms are driven by restriction you know restriction of form, restriction of medium, restriction of distribution. And that shapes storytelling. Um, and so comics are, you know, television is different now than it was um, in the 70s. And comics are also different than, than they were in the 70s. Um, Do you think that this form of distribution that we have today is better than the one that we had in the past? Not just the ease of access to comics, but I think it takes a lot of the stigma out too. Of yeah, yeah. The culture of it. Well, same thing again. Same, I, and I, I apologize for continually talking about other media. We're going to ask about Scholastic. I feel like you have a grudge against them. Oh, no, I don't have a grudge against them. It's quite the opposite. I, I, My point is that when people think about comics publishers, they are not paying attention to the actual like, um, money of it. My friend's series just became a board game. I was pretty happy about that. I watched that growth happen. Yeah, it's called Fay. Um, it's about like mystical creatures and things of that sort. But yeah, he's apparently it's very, very popular. It's kind of like a version of Dungeons and Dragons, but better. It gives free creative expression to that. And I'm so, I was there when he first started his comic, and I had him on the show. And next thing you know, see four years later, he's got this board game out there now, which is interesting to me because I don't know. I mean, I I support anybody that's doing their own art, whether whatever form, whatever medium. But yeah, I have a lot of comic friends that are just there. They do so much work, and I realize how much effort they put into it. Whenever I get a design done or something like that, which makes me only want to buy the paper version, not the digital version. 
Yeah. Well, I, I'll I'll tell you this. So I I like um, the range of media now, uh, the range of 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 possibilities for for encountering all art, right? Um, it is different because you know going to the comic shop and and comic shops were were a great thing. But remember, comic shops came about because of distribution, right? They weren't some natural thing. It was that it was, um, you know, when direct distribution came about and the comic book shop owner would take the risk by buying the comics, um, you know, and then selling them. Uh, and that changed their relationship with the publishers. And really that in some ways, co uh, comic book shops were terrible for comics because it took the comics out of the grocery stores and and 7-Eleven and convenience stores where people used to encounter them, right? I, that's how I started reading comics is we stopped at the gas station and my mom in California in 1974 and my mom let us buy comics. I think that's how I got my first comic. Yeah, that wasn't my idea. That was her idea. And that wouldn't happen now, right? On the other hand, you know, I... Um, my mom died in uh, 2002 and we we went to her house and cleaned it out and we you know threw a bunch of stuff in dumpster in the dumpster including like she had all these pictures of all these trips she had taken and we didn't take them and we didn't know who the people were in the pictures and so we kept the family pictures but we tossed all of that stuff and i recently um sold off my comics because you know i had a 5 by 5 by uh say eight stack of boxes of paper and i wasn't doing anything with them they were just sitting there i kept um i kept captain america 176 which was the first comic book i bought and i kept uh, the hulk 181 because it's a key it has wolverine and i sold off everything else um and you know it's weird not having them there but on the other hand i didn't do anything with them anyway and so not having I when I tossed my mom's house like that, I decided that I never wanted another thing. I never wanted anything. By thing, I mean a physical object that I have to take care of. Minimalism. Hmm? Minimalism. Min well, not exactly. It's just because they have lots of stuff. I only want a thing that I'm going to use and reuse. But mostly, it's it's like with books and comics and movies and that kind of stuff. I'm I'm happy to have just digital access to all that stuff now, because, you know, when you, when you move, I don't know if you've ever moved long boxes. <laughs> I moved, I moved next door one time. Um, I was living in a house and my, my lease ran out and I got into the house that was literally right next door. So I, I moved my comics and I carried long boxes and, uh, uh, that was a lot. It it kind of blew out my arms for the day. And you know, not having to do that is great. Having to just to be able to dip into a stream, um, to be able to get things through the library, uh, through Hoopla on my tablet. Uh, See, we're the opposite in that. I love the collectible stuff. I think when they put numbers on certain things, I think that only makes the whole collector's market go up even more because people go, I got to collect them all. I got to do something. McDonald's does that whenever they do Happy Meal specials or something like that. Yeah. And there is a certain kind of fetishization of, of, of material objects that – you know, I get, I see stuff and I'm like, ooh, that'd be nice to have. But then I think, well, where am I going to put that and what am I going to do with it? And and when I 
when I, when I dust my bookshelves, I kind of think, why do we have these books? <laughs> no, uh, now they're this object that I have to take care of. I, uh, when I was two, my, uh, my parents said happy birthday to me and I stomped off. And I'm still like that. I actually don't like gifts. I don't like gifts because for somebody to be able to get a gift correct, right? To get a gift right. What do I need? I don't need anything. So somebody buying me a gift, they're almost always going to get it wrong. And then I have to do something with it. So what they've done is they- <laughs> that, That's so relatable. I'm so sorry. That's so relatable to me. It's every Christmas. I'm like, I said nothing. And they get you something that you have to have in return. I'm still got to return a pair of shoes that don't fit. And I'm like, I don't have the fucking time. Yeah. Did you know that Christmas is the greatest destroyer of value in the world? That's terrible. Because be joy. somebody buys you a gift and they pay $50 for it, right? But you value it at $25 then by buying it and giving it to you, they've destroyed $25. <laughs> this is an economics thing. And, and you know, like I, uh, a friend of mine will, you know, publish a book and they'll be like, oh, do you want a copy? And I'm like, no, can, can you give me an electronic copy? Because, you know, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna walk you around. My I will say my best Christmas gift was, I got a giant uh, poster of me and Tom Holland side by side together. So. Oh, well, that's different. But you know, I'm gonna walk you around my basement. Right? We, we look identical, apparently. Oh, you do. You do look like Tom Holland. And, um, you know, look, you can see. You should see my Tinder. It's just nothing but me and Tom Holland photos. <laughs> oh, well, I, was, yeah, you... I was doing a social experiment, and that's how it turned out. Dude, I'm getting a whole tour of your house right now. Yeah. Well, my basic. I think we'd all swipe for it and Tom Holland. But, you know, so this is the, you know, this is the hunks of, this is the pile of paper. I have lots, a lot of them are comics, journals. And uh, some books and stuff, you know, paperback books. But like, I will tell you, when someone dies and you have to take care of, you know, cubic yards of material objects. Oh, I know. That will do it for you. That's how I got interested in JFK. Yeah, that will teach you. I don't want to have any of that stuff in my house. I you like know? this stuff. Well, yeah. But but again, um, uh, I'm thinking of the Swedish death cleaning because oh. I I had to do it for my parents and I don't want my kids to have to do it with me. And so um, it is, you know, I, I I collected comics for years and and I appreciated them, the smell of them and the materiality of them. And, you know, um, but I've moved away from that. And I'm, I'm so I'm happy that we have digital access to media now um but don't you miss out on the smells and the nostalgia ask like there's a big market for nostalgia i don't think you can get that from just watching something you have to actually have the feeling of it you can't and it is it is a different relationship and to me the uh freedom from the burden is is worth it but you know there still is physical, although not everything is physical media now, but um, people can have their own relationship. Um, I just, like I said, my my thing about that was tossing my mom's house into a dumpster and just realizing that I, I didn't want to have that relationship with, uh, with media anymore. But also now there's so much, you know, you're you're 
you're thinking about numbering. Um, comic book numbers used to mean something. You know, if I say, oh, the Fantastic Four number one, okay, you know what that means, right? Except do you? Because how many Fantastic Four number ones are there? I don't know. Apparently, it's Fantastic Fours in the name. Now you're telling me there's only one. I'm just sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, but that's what I mean. You know that 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 because they start over and renumber, um, it it kind of destroys that um, that relationship uh, with that history and the sort of materiality of it in the in the actual you know physical thing um because now there's so much more stuff so you know you it, it used to be not to be an old man about it but you know you, you'd have to go find things and it was you know the finding of the thing was was sort of built into it and now uh, the joy of it and then holding it and and having it because it's treasure um and i think it goes back to a deep sort of hunter gatherer thing where you actually had to go out and look for things and find them and bring them back and display them and and you know i um i have like i i bought some art i went to a um conference in uh, in cleveland several years ago on wonder woman and we went to um comic book shop and uh there were local artists and i bought some of their local art and it's on my wall in my office um this weird spider-man wooden thing and and some other stuff and 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 that as as art is interesting and i i um i actually am gonna hang up some uh some of i have some of those big you know those treasury edition comics i'm gonna put some of those up on my wall in my office and stuff but uh um so you know having a physical object has a value um my kids still like to buy books i i feel every time they buy a book it feels weird to me because i am thinking about you know the, my next 40 years um 58 i probably got about 40 years left um although you know if you go that you're gonna die in 2039 we all know i know uh why do you say that I just got a feeling. That's not 40 years. No. Um, <clears throat> We're not going to make it till we reach the singularity. I'm sorry. Oh, I am. Um, I'm gonna be I saw your Twitter post from like 2020, whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. You were like posted five tweets off about, oh, God, I'm not going to make it to hit the singularity if I die in 2039. I guess some app told you that. And I was just dying laughing. I was just dying laughing. I was like, that's how I think of shit. Yeah. No, I completely, <laughs> I completely forgot about that. I'm not on Twitter very much. Um, uh, especially now but um no i i uh, the goal is if you can make it to um i think it's 2050 and in good health then you'll live to be 150 or whatever i'll be 85 and god 20. i hope not i thought i'd be dead at this point i just turned 26 that was the goal i was aiming for Ugh. i wish i was 26 but anyway um no, actually, my dad just passed, and he was 93, and his mom was 95, and I'm in better health than either of them, and, and so um, I stand a good chance of uh, of making it to 100.
well, shit, dude, you can eat whatever you want. You get sugars, no calories for you. You just can't have nuts. That's true. Well, I can have nuts, but some nuts, but not other nuts. Um, but uh, yeah, actually, I actually have a, on. I, I actually have open on my. Uh, this is too much for your audience, but um, I have open uh, the database of studies that are going on now. And I'm looking for obesity researchers to try to find somebody to uh, harvest my gut bacteria. Jesus, man. So into a cure for obesity and diabetes. So um, you're already yeah. thinking about benefiting society. If I were you, I was thinking, how many Reese's cups can I fit in my <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, although with that, you know, how much money would people pay to be able to eat whatever they want to eat, whenever they want to eat it, however much they want to eat or to not eat at all? What would people pay for that? All the money? I mean, that's like there's an area of ADHD research where they're trying to figure out because for some reason, like I can have an orange after doing like six hours of cardio or something and then I won't have to eat for the rest of the day as long as I'm moving and not thinking about it. And that's that's why ADHD also has like obsessive compulsive stuff when it comes to like you get home, you're sitting around doing nothing. You just start eating. And you can't stop because your body's like, holy, we haven't eaten for 12, 14 hours. I could be hyper metabolism, man. That could be a good one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I have friends that are like that that won't eat. They'll just forget to eat for two days. Um, my, my daughter's a bit like that. Um, I, uh, my relationship with, with that's uh, really different. I, uh, I think I actually have the best relationship with food, which is that I do whatever I want and it's all fine. <laughs> Pretty far off comics though, but. Uh, lucky, lucky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's why I'd like to uh, make that available to the world. So if any of your listeners are uh, gut bacteria researchers, we can make a billion dollars. <laughs> Let's bring it back to the comics real quick on the beginning note. When it comes to what people are getting on the surface layer compared to what people are getting underneath, what can you show from your perspective in years of looking at comics and really being, I mean, surrounded by it? the whole culture in general, that you can really pull away a deeper layer of what people should be perceiving of a comics. Like if you watch a movie for the fifth time, M. Night Shyamalan, I keep discovering new stuff. Yeah. Well, that's sure. I actually just got into The Thing from uh, 1981. They're 1982. John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, and I'm on Facebook with all these people, and I'm kind of shocked at the level at which people don't read, right? That 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 all they want to talk about is the plot. And we really never talk about anything that's below the surface or uh, is interesting um, uh, uh, in terms of the meaning of the, of the work. But, you know, that again, it's true. It's true of everything that I don't think comics are special in that way. Um, you know, the, the difference with comics though, um, and, and and this is true of each medium, but um, with comics, uh, the thing that I've learned uh, in the past decade and a half or so is to read comics as comics. So the sequential artistry of comics, right? In other words, that the meaning is embedded in um, the relationships. Remember, comics are not words and pictures. They're relationships between in, intrapanel, interpanel, uh, panels on the tier, tiers on the page, pages and other pages. And being able to read into how meaning is created 
with the sequential artistry, right? That that's something that I didn't do for decades, right? I only started doing it because I taught it. I taught a, a graduate course in comics theory and started to be able to do it. Now I can do it and it's so much more. That's the thing that people that's what you know and and it's also true with you know cinematic like looking at camera angles and lighting and 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 all that kind of stuff there's a whole other layer of meaning and the difference i think though is that <clears throat> people recognize say literature you know uh, the words that are chosen the the senses the the lengths of paragraphs just all of that all the ways the rhetoric, the meaning is constructed through the art form. And that's what I think people don't understand about comics. Um, even, uh, so we, we had uh, uh, Ben Sawyers, a, a, a comics artist in St. Louis and uh, he teaches at Webster University. And I had him into my class. And I had trained my students to look at the sequential artistry and we started asking him questions and he was like oh oh you know and 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 we were we were saying well you did this and and we pulled this meaning out of it and he went oh yeah yeah it's there but it's he hadn't seen it before because he like like a lot of artists you know he he does the thing that works and you know they don't have to no artist has to figure out why they're doing something right they just if it works then they lean into it and the, the deeper meaning is there. But he changed the way he does his art after having after coming to class because we uh, um, we made him aware of sequential artistry and that he hadn't been before. And it's not that he didn't understand it. It's just that nobody had gotten him thinking about it. And once we got him thinking about it, oh, he took off with it. Like he got it completely. He understood it, you know, and he teaches comics and now he, he but like nobody had pointed that out to him. Um, and and that's um, the thing. So if you look at, say, Dark Knight Returns, right, just to pick a big one. Um, say in my book, I, I talk about how it's a deconstruction of the superhero genre. And it is. But then when I read it by paying attention to the sequential artistry, I discovered that there's another meaning and it's about the indestructibility of the superhero genre that you can't kill it. You can't take it apart and make it not work, that it will come back. It'll come back in a different form. You know, it'll come back as an SOB, a son of the Batman rather than the Batman, but the superhero genre is there and that is something that only happens in the comics if you watch the animated version of it it's not there because it it, it occurs through um the one of the ways that it happens is that the only characters who get full page spreads are superheroes right so batman batman and robin superman they get a couple of of where they're the only thing on the page, or they're the, as big as the page, right? There's one person on the page. Nobody else gets that. All the, like all the TV boxes are really, TV screens are really small. And then, so the only other character who gets anything like that is one of the SOBs. It gets a half page spread. And, you know, and and the, the, the story ends with them in the Batcave and, and uh, 
you know, Bruce Wayne, Batman has become boss. And they're going to, he's going to train them. He's creating another generation of superheroes who are going to be different, but they are going to be superheroes. So the genre, it's not death to the genre, you know, and the same thing happens with like Watchmen, which I'm, I'm talking about because I've taught it so many times. And, um, you know, the relationships uh, 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 between uh, the panels and the images and what repeats and, you know, that it, it's a loop. It, 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 it says in the comic book, um, you know, nothing ever ends. You know, you just take a break before doing it again and you end focusing in on, on Seymour's shirt with the, the smiley face and then you flip the book over and you have the comedian's smiley face and it's the same image, right? And then you read it and it's a big circle because you have to read it over and over again. Same thing is true of Mouse. Um, I discovered in reading Mouse, you know, if you look at the, there's a three panel zoom where it's the same image is repeated. And there's, um, um, there's the death face is that, is that characters who are going to die, uh, Spiegelman draws them all in the same way. It's this, uh, they're looking up, you know, their little mouse heads are looking up and he draws himself that way. And that changes um, the meaning of it. And there's a, there's a great bit, which when I first saw it, I went ah! and dropped the comic book. It's the, um, uh, in Mouse, there's the uh, panel where they go into Auschwitz, Arbeit macht frei. And um, on the next page, um, Artie's sitting there and he says, oh my God. And what happened was I tracked it and the capital panel, right? The first panel of every page in the present was open. It didn't have a line on the top of it. It didn't have a border on the top of the first panel. And the ones in the past did. All of them had a panel, a border on the top of that first panel, that capital panel. And um, why? Well, it's because the present is open. We don't know the meaning of the present. This is already and Vladek in the 1980s, right? It's open. Um, and, and also the pages were very uh, uniform, sort of two tiers, or sorry, two columns, three tiers, you know, six pages or eight pages, very stable. Well, why? Well, because the future, the present is unknown and it's stable. And you look at the past about the, you know, period of the Holocaust and that first, that first, that capital panel always has a line and there's a lot of different designs why because it was chaotic but past it's settled it's closed and when you flip from arbeit macht fry to already sitting there the capital panel on that page has a line on the top because you can't make poetry after auschwitz what it's saying is that the the present is closed and settled by the past. That's why Artie's a mouse and not a dog, because he's a Jew. Not he's he is an American, but he's a Jew first, right? Americans are dogs, British are fish. You know, the Scandinavians are reindeer, Germans are cats, Poles are pigs, um, and that line, right? That line sums up the whole book. And it is not present in the words. 
It is not present in the pictures. It is present in the relationship that occurs, that is built up over page after page after page. And learning to read comics as sequential artistry, that's the thing that people need to learn to you know, really enjoy comics. Because once I got into that, it, it it changed the way I read comics, changed the way I enjoyed comics, changed my understanding of the stories. Um, Marvels is the same way. Uh, uh, Kurt Brusick and Alex Ross's Marvels is that when I first read it, I thought it was this sort of, and it is, sense of wonder. You know, when when Galactus gets knocked off and he stands up on the sky, oh, it's just so it's it's real again. It, brings me back to when I encountered it the first time. But I noticed that there was something that they did, which is that, uh, well, one thing is that the, the, the human beings are presented in vertical, in, sorry, in horizontal panels. And the marvels, Submariner, Human Torch, are presented in vertical panels, right? Because they're different from us. Marvels are different from people. And when Captain America comes in, he gets a horizontal panel. Why? Because he's like us. That's the the that's in the story. You know, he's one of us. And then the next panel where you see the Submariner and the Human Torch, it's also horizontal. So that's interesting. But then there's also this thing that I call the three panel decline. And if it were musical, it'd be dun dun dun. It's three vertical panels, and they're going it's they're going diagonally down the page to the right. It's dun 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 dun, and you know it ends with. It ends with um, Danny Ketch, the kid on the the delivering the newspaper. And when I read it, I hadn't been reading Ghost Ghostwriter, so I was unaware that Danny Ketch was the you know grim and gritty Ghostwriter. And and you see the sky, you know, you see this cloud, and and it appears that the sun is coming out from behind the clouds, and that this is you know this is Phil is passing on you know his sort of photography career to his assistant, and he's going to write a book. And, you know, he's just proved that Spider-Man didn't kill Gwen Stacy. And, you know, it seems like the sun is coming out from behind the clouds. But it's not. It, it ends with Danny Ketch, who is just about to, you know, he's an he's an 11-year-old kid. And he's going to very soon, you know, this is 1973. It's not going to be that long before he's the ghostwriter and burning people and, you know, sending them to hell and so forth. And so what I thought was this celebration of superheroes and a sort of rebirth of the medium, which it was, and of the genre, it's also superheroes are bad for us, is what Bert Busiek and Ross seem to be saying. They're definitely bad for the world that they live in. You know, dun, dun, dun. And it's it's the sun is going behind the clouds because we're about to go, you know, into the, the, the Iron Age. Um, and that, I think, gets at, is an answer to your question, a long answer to your question. But um, in terms of people reading, that, that unless you understand the medium that an artwork is in, you really can't understand it. And so you do need to know about shots. You do need to know about diction. You need to know about rhythm to for poetry and 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 
camera angles and so forth and shots for cinema. And you need to understand sequential artistry in order to read comics. Do you think that people understanding that will emphasize more on, I guess, relating to the supervillain? I mean, I find that supervillains, I don't know if it's because I'm maybe doing more evil shit now that I'm older, but I find they're more relatable, especially with the pain that they go through. I think we really see a person I was shown in the past, at least through films, is that you have this psycho twisted person, like take the Joker, for example. But then if you see, like we talked about last time, the Joker movie, it kind of people felt it was a little bit more relatable because you got to see the buildup of how he became this horrible figure that we've always known as being the bad guy. And I'm seeing that now, even with like Suicide Squad and other films that come out, um, you're finding that there are people put in hard positions, obviously made bad choices in life, but necessarily not redeemable. Like I had to change my characteristics when someone says this person's unsavable or unredeemable. I was like, I think everyone is. I was like, there's got to be a point for it. Well, I, I think that's a larger thing about... Um sort of enemyization or others, other otherizing. Communism. Um, you know? Yeah, well, it, that's the thing. It used to be that it was fairly simple. and um, He's wearing red, shoot him. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. That, that, that you could, that there were, the enemy was created from, you know, ethnicity and ideology and so forth. And then um, I, I, I gave a talk on this about vampires is, you know, there's a shift took place in vampires and, and it's what I've called internal enemyization is that, you know, it used to be that the enemy was primarily an other, right. And then with say the Vietnam war, um, you know, the, en the enemy became Nixon, right. The establishment like that, part. but also from that side, the enemy became young people and, um, um, the counterculture movement and so forth. And now the thing is, is that, you know, the enemy is within. Um, and so like the greatest threat to America, right, is the Republican Party. Um, and but from their side, you know, they would say the greatest threat to America is wokeism. So that the enemy is no longer external to the society, it's internal. And And I don't know if that's something that happens uh, generally with societies, or if it's something that happened, you know, to the U.S., or if it happened to the U.S. and other places, uh, uh, that's a bigger question than I can answer. But in the U.S., um, you know, because the enemy is other people in the U.S., other people in our culture, it's other Americans, you know, it, 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 it does two things. One is it, it makes it more difficult to have villains you know, one of the reasons that, um, so no, no, Kamal Nuan, no, I'm sorry, I can't. Kamal Nuan, wait, Kamal Nuanjuani. I've said his name many times. Yeah, exactly him. Um, Taking steroids to look that good. Yeah, How do you lie Kamal Nuanjuani. Yeah, that was odd. I I don't know if he took steroids. Or if he just 100% took steroids. He admitted to it later. Oh, that's I work in the fitness industry. That guy shaped up for his age that quick. I was like, hell no, that's unrealistic. I thought that was the miracle of Marvel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> muscle you know. suits, man. Yeah. Okay. No, I just mean like the idea of of you know, like well, like Hugh Jackman, and I maybe Hugh Jackman took steroids too, but he still um, owned them. You know, but uh, you know what what it looked like when they when he and and Chris Evans when they built those bodies, you know, like. And and Kamal actually that was an interesting thing. Like he he seemed to presage the idea that anyone can get in shape if they're going to be in a Marvel movie. 
know, mm. and 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 Rob McElhaney though, I think Rob McElhaney is an, an example of somebody who does it honestly because he, you know, on on uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, he had seasons where he was jacked, and he also had seasons where he was, you know, he put on twenty five pounds and he was pudgy. And he did it for his character, you know, but I think he actually did it for real, but I don't know. He's also, he's on T-Booster too. Well, that's the thing is that a lot of the stuff that used to be demonized of taking steroids, they're so good now that at least in my industry, everyone's pretty open about it. Like, it's just, it's so common. It's like, I had five friends last year alone towards the end, get boob implants. And I was like, that was always, I thought like, you never do that. That was just a horrible thing. Like, it's like, oh my God, she got what? But now everyone's all like, oh yeah, I went up a size. I was like, well, I guess we're just talking about it normally, but all actors now, like even um, Jensen Ackles did it for real, but he didn't get super lean. Like how you see a lot of these guys do where They look like it's edited CGI wise, but I think everyone's pretty open about it now. Cause it, you still have to work hard to get that body. You can't just take steroids and it magically happens. Right. Right. Um, yeah, huh? Uh, but uh, what uh, Kamal Nanjiani said was that you know he couldn't get cast as a bad guy um, because you know he, that's one of the reasons why he liked doing Chippendales, the movie because the TV show because yeah. um, he got bad else. And you know that wouldn't you know in the there would have been a period where he would have only been playing bad guys, right? Where he'd been playing you know terrorists and so forth, and then. Um, you know, there became a sensitivity to the issue and the pendulum swung pretty far the other way, according to him. Um, but that's the thing is that you you can't have, um, you, you can't now have an enemy that is defined by identity because we have people who have all these identities, you know, out and about who can now say something and that's good. Um, it means that, you know, it changes storytelling and, uh, but it also, you know, there's also lazy, uh, you know, I always find it funny when you see some giant corporation release a movie where the villain is a giant corporation. Um, um, Ready Player you know, One? Yeah, yeah. Well, almost most, most movies, you know, that have bad, bad guys, especially guys are, you know, it is it is uh, corporations in some way, which is is funny because it, it's like the same thing happens with, you know, white men can be the villains now. Well, because we had you know we've had thousands of years, well, uh, we've had hundreds of years of of being the hero, and so okay, we should do that. But but the idea that um, people, you know, who hold minority identities can't be automatically othered and and turned into villains mostly um is is i think good it it makes it more complicated and it it also makes it easier to see the lazy storytelling right that at one time tell your screen up real quick i'm getting like the upper part of your nose oh, okay oh sorry um i'm just I'm, uh, you're making I'm, a really good point i just want to make sure you're actually like in the shot for it sorry i'm I'm thinking i do that when i think i look up um i did that in class one time and i looked down and all the students were like because because they had not uh i had just gone off on a tangent a good tangent and they they could just barely follow me where i went but your point about the joker and being more understanding is that because 
of our greater awareness of identity issues that have come about because people with identities have been able to, you know, take pride in that identity and take pride in resisting oppression. Um, storytellers can't simply just turn them into, you know, cartoon villains, as it were, except corporations. Um, but when they, even when they do that, you know, unless they do it well, it just seems like crappy storytelling. Um, but it also opens up more possibilities, you know? So I think that's true with, with a, we have so much culture now, and in some ways we have so much crap and, you know, like movies now are not kind of the dominant art form of storytelling because, you know, the, the financial investment in a movie means it has to, you know, come back. And like, I look at it and I, I tend to only go to the movies to see the big stuff, right? Um, anything else, I'll probably just wait till it comes on TV. Why? Because distribution, it all, it all goes back to distribution, right? That, that, and that shapes storytelling and it always has um and always will and you know you can i think what happens is people get attached to the story you know every the golden age of science fiction is 12 right the the, the things that you're aware of when you kind of became aware those become the norm for you but they're they're, they're totally different now i just look at a lot of storytelling that I, I'm like I'm writing a novel, right? And it's a novel, but like that board game that your friend has come up with, right? That's part of that storytelling. Or trying to think of how can I tell this story through like news reports. You know, um, people who get Dracula like one entry at a time. You know, and Dracula was written. Um, you know, they had the super high technology of the typewriter. You know, Nina Nina Harker is typing up all their notes and then sharing it and so forth. And you see, you see that as as a technology, an internal technology to the story of the, its own storytelling. But it's it's told that way, and so it you can get you know you can get World War II day by day on your phone and experience it that way. Um, and you know, people doing like you talked about YouTube shorts. You know, I have people I follow on YouTube who I can't even find their regular page or they're not even producing um, videos that are longer than say three or four minutes. You know, it's just like, I see the, I see the, the bit and it's cut up into these little chunks. And I'm like, I'd like to just watch the, the eight minute video of it. And there isn't one. They are two-minute videos. Um, and and so the range of storytellers, like there's a there's a, a group on YouTube called Content Machine. It started as the two guys and they tell stories, you know, what it's what it's like to be in their 20s today. And then they brought in, they have a number of actresses in there and other actors, and they built their own little studio. Um, and you know, maybe there's money behind it or whatever, but it, this is true in general, that the amount of talent there is out there in people's ability to produce art, 
and culture and commentary. I mean, look at what you're doing, right? I don't have talent, sir. Yeah, well. I'm hanging on by a thread, my guy. But still, you're producing, you know, commentary, right? Um, I'm not, uh, except by being on your show. Um, and that didn't used to be true. You know, it, 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 the thing you're talking about, like making board games, and people do have to, you know, do this level of work where they're doing it all the time and everything is everything is promotion and everything is connected and they have to do it you know they produce it as a youtube thing they produce it as a a podcast and then they have to have an after show and that but they're able to do it and you know nobody's making very much money at it but enough people are making enough money at it that they can do it and make a living i watch a I watch a YouTube channel called Some More News. Guy Cody Johnston, he used to be part of um, College Drop, uh, used to be part of College Humor, and you know he has his own little thing. I know him really well. Other people don't know him at all. And my my daughter just told me about um, somebody dropping off of YouTube. He'd been on YouTube forever. And my reaction to that was, YouTube isn't forever. I remember when YouTube started, but all these people were uh, in 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 their uh, in their sort of fan group, all these people were really upset that this guy was dropping off YouTube because he had been such a long-standing portion, you know, part of their life. But he's been around for whatever, 10 years. But, you know, when you're 17 and you've been watching somebody since you were seven, that's significant. And that is true now of comics and everything else that more people can make more stuff and we we lack a unified culture. You know, if you were going to sing TV show theme songs, you, you could sing the ones from the 70s, but you couldn't sing one from anything now because one TV shows don't have theme songs. But also because think about all the shows that you haven't watched. Right. And it it's it's hard. You can you can find a a piece of culture that you share with somebody else but maybe only one you know um and and that is the sort of dc and marvel model of the you know universe um in terms of the comics is based upon that older distribution based idea of a shared kind of unified stock of culture that comes at us and that's not true anymore and that you know it just is something people have to adjust to and and but the great thing about it is um you know for young people younger people this is this is you know for my kids there always was the internet you know i i existed before the internet i remember i got my first email address and you know, for you, you're you existed before the internet too, although not much, right? Like there was probably a period when you discovered it, um, and it just kind of came in. But for people not that much younger than you, it was always there. When I discovered it the next day, they made safe search, and I was like, damn, 
<laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? And so it's that what I mean is that um, really with comics and I mean, it's it's the same as it ever was, but it's also different than ever was. Would the you... same was in that these things have always happened. Change has change of medium and distribution um, has always happened. And it's changed the way art is made and experienced. And there isn't any one way to do it. And also, you know, you retain the old forms. I mean, look at the way audio has come back. Um, you know, thank you, Steve Jobs, right? Like iTunes, which I don't even know exists anymore. That's what gave us, you know, why do, why do we call it podcasting? Because of iPod, right? And And now look at, you know, look at how many people get to make podcasts. And most of them don't make any money. The same thing with most actors don't make any money. Most writers don't make any money off their art. But a few do, and you, you kind of have to have the mass. It's kind of like my theory of uh, Nike owes. Nike owes every basketball player money because it's only because you know, a thousand kids play basketball in, in high school so that a hundred can play it in college so that, you know, five can go on to the pros so that one can have a career that lasts more than a year. Well, without that thousand, you wouldn't have the one. And so the same thing is true of, um, of, of all the, the arts that it's only because we have so many that the the good ones can kind of rise to the top or you know not it, there's so many that are good um anyway i'm just kind of rambling but well can i ask you do you feel like that through all your experience with comics that has showed you a different perspective and outlook on life a little bit or given you a different understanding because you can get a lot of perceptions about life through any angle you come across in one's life it's why so many people are so diverse in their ways of thinking and the ways that they look at things but i'm curious if you consider it a benefit that comics this whole path yeah. you've taken yeah i mean yeah com and and again that's a that's one of those differences now i think now is that um you know, when I read comics, got started rather reading comics and so forth, and then it, it became an identity and then there was fan activity and it was, you know, looked down upon and that uh, disrespect, you know, produces a kind of paradoxical or, or um, reaction of pride uh, that I don't think that happens now, right? Part of it is that, you know, the geek revolution um, the, the thing that I got out of comics, I don't think people can get out of comics now. I, I find it hard to think of, um, you know, a medium or an art form that's really looked down upon because anybody can find a whole group of people now that appreciate and enjoy an art form or a genre and can kind of, you know, immerse themselves in that world. Whereas in the past, 
it wasn't as possible to be immersed in one of those worlds and just kind of ignore the rest, ignore the outside world. And, and that's, you know, for me, so for reading comics, it, it, it was that it was this identity and a way of, of thinking about myself. I was a comics reader, you know, that I think is different now. And I, I think it's better that it's, things are more open, but well, if you're reading yeah. off of a device, nobody can tell what you're reading. So nobody right, knows right. you're a comic yeah. book person. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah. But then it's also cool to be interested in comic book culture. I don't know how many people I come across with Dragon Ball Z material or they got something, a tattoo, where I'm like, that's Dragon Ball Z. They're like, you, if you know, you know. And then they walk away. I'm like, all right, I got it. I know what that is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and although there's, you know, with that, it's it's funny because in in a sense that that's um, gotten so big and people don't even necessarily know, and they buy T-shirts or or whatever, they don't really know what it is. But there's so many niche fandoms that people have and have access to that they um, they do have that sort of insider thing. Again. I met the love of my life in a Walmart wearing a Dragon Ball Z t-shirt. I went up to her and I said, oh my God, Dragon Ball Z. And she goes, huh? I go, Dragon Ball Z. She's like, I got this at Hot Topic. And I go, no, no, no. <laughs> exactly. And, and you know, the thing is uh, that like this is true with comics is people spend more, you know, going to one comic book convention like San Diego or like that. than they're going to spend on comics the whole year um, or, you know, more as as was always true t-shirts and sheet sets and so forth sell more than comics um one of the things that i think that would be if our if our corporate overlords <laughs> could listen to this um this is something that, that i i heard about in taiwan uh, from john lent who's a comic scholar um he, he said that what they do there is that the comics are integrated into the other media so that a story will start in a comic book, move into TV, move into a movie, and then move back into a comic book, right? That there, it's it's seamless, and and you know if you look at the um, the constant adaptation, I just watched um, Sweet Tooth, you know, which started out as a comic uh, adaptation, and you know Umbrella Academy, and like Umbrella Academy on tv is far better than the comic book is right but it wouldn't exist without the comic book or the boys right the boys on amazon is a far better show than the comics were right the comics are kind of crappy but um but the tv show is great and so what because there's realism in the boys yeah what our corporate overlords need to realize is that um comics especially and this is something different about comics um comics they should basically not worry about whether comics make any money i mean it, i they kind of probably don't but that 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 comics themselves shouldn't be viewed as a profit center they should be viewed as a loss leader for storytelling and creativity and they should you know just be paying people to make comics which maybe you're going to sell maybe you're not going to sell but that then are available to be adapted into other things that actually do make money, you know? It's but my only problem with wokeism in comics or in films in general is that I don't 
I know some people go, yeah, we got to put more identity in films. I do agree with that. I just don't believe the companies that are doing it. I think it's like a false, like, oh, we're going to make money off of doing this and doing this. And I'm like, I didn't go see Miss Marvels. It's not because there's women in it. It's not that at all. It's just, I don't know those characters. I want something. I saw the Madam Web trailer that's supposed to be coming out. The Sp that looks fan-fucking-tastic. But also, Static Shock, one of my favorite superheroes, Donald Glover, get him on it. That's a perfect fit for that guy. Or, uh, well, uh, what's his name? He's not in... playing Static Shock, though, because he's a teenager and Donald Glover isn't. Donald Glover can pull it, just shave the beard. He's got baby face. We're all but, good. Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. But and, who's the guy uh, who's in all those? Oh, my God. He has a he's be perfect for Green Lantern. And I, I'm blanking on his name right Nathan now. Fillion? Huh? You mean Nathan Fillion? No, 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 no. Okay. Um, he was in Suicide Squad. He was the main guy. Oh, you mean John Cena? No, no, it's not. The guy you played Deadshot. I played. Oh, I was or thinking whoever it is. I played Rick Flag. Yes, he would be perfect for one of the Green Lanterns. A hundred percent. There's not even a question about it. I'm waiting for it. Marvel. Come on, get on it. Perfect for anything, though. So that's, that's not, true. That's very true. That's, that's not really about Green Lantern. That's really but there's there's so much of a market there where I go just do that. Like when I, I think a lot of people like if you see Captain America, you just want Captain America. It's why people rejected the TV show or the movie version where they brought back a different Captain America because you were so adapted to Chris Evans and there was this phony Captain America. And they I, like for me, I was like I didn't even bother watching the show because I didn't want to see a whole another remake of. Cap I want one person. That's it. Just someone I can connect to for my whole life. I just started liking Michael Keaton's Batman because I saw the Flash. Fantastic movie. I, I thought it was funny that to show that he was running backwards in time, he ran backwards, which I just thought that was hilarious. But Michael Keaton's Batman, I never knew that Batman. I didn't like him when he popped up on the screen, but then I started to like him throughout the movie. I was like, this is awesome. He's seasoned. I like it. Well, this is something that's different about superheroes, actually, than than other characters and other IP is that, so the way I phrase it is all Batman are Batman. In other words, that there's so many different versions of Batman, right? But they're all equally Batman. And you might like one more, like one less, but you can't say one is more Batman or less Batman. Um, I have a little talk on this. and And so... You know, you have your Batman, you know, you have the Batman you like the most or the Batman that brought you in. But then, you know, you can experience the other ones and appreciate the other ones. And the superheroes, because, you know, the, the suit, you know, just put on the suit, it does the acting um, that they're they're much more malleable than others. So, like, if you do a Sherlock Holmes it will always be compared to the original stories, right? Because there's a set of stories, there's a canon of stories. Or when you adapt Little Women, it'll always be adapted from the thing, but the, the book, the novel. But superheroes, you know, they just draw on the whole history and there's not any one true version. It's just a matter of how well it's interpreted and done. Um, and that's why you can have, you know, one of the mistakes that uh, DC, I think, is is finally getting over um, is you can have multiple versions, right? You can have Ben Affleck and Robert Pattinson be Batman and the audience gets it. I think they under 
estimated their audience's intelligence and ability to to um, to follow things uh, for a long time. And maybe they're finally getting up to the point where they can just let us have all of it, you know? I think the multiverse opened up doors, but I also think now it's a great way for them to cover up whenever their actor gets a scandal about them. They're like, it's okay, we're going to replace them and it'll be the multiverse because there's billions of worlds. It's true. Um, it does allow that. But that's really just an expression or an extension of something that was, you know, inherent to the genre anyway. I mean, once they got like, even if you look at like right from the beginning, right? Superman was in the comic books, but he was also in the newspaper, but he was also in the Fleischer cartoons. And each one of those is a slightly different version, but they're all Superman. Um, and so that was true of, you know, Batman changed over time, but he was always Batman. And then once you got the 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 flash of two Earths, you know, you literally had different flashes. And people just went with it. You know, it goes back to, you know, myth. There's all these different Hercules. Um, there's these different versions of the Trojan War. Uh, um, Arthurian, you know, there's Parzival and Parsival and, you know, Arthur and Arthur. And um, people are always capable of that. I, I, I think that, one of the interesting things about the explosion of culture is the way in which at least some creators and producers have learned that they can trust their audiences. Their audiences can figure things out it, that in some ways, you know, while, while big entertainment hasn't gotten kind of simpler, um, although in some ways not, it's also gotten more, there's a lot more complexity out there. And variety and uh you know bringing it back to comics that's my you know scholastic is the the top comic book seller which i think is great because you know comics are not about any specific companies comics are about an art form and that my kids getting into comics however they did and now they're making their own you know and and they their pages are kind of small, but that's because, you know, they're doing it on the iPad and uh, they don't think about double page spreads the way that I do, having grown up with it. But, you know, I think that, again, to bring it back to distribution, as I do, that it will, we will get different forms and then the storytelling will change. And, you know, I miss stuff. I miss the kind of unity. I, uh, I, um, when I started reading comics in 1974, you know, I was able to read back to basically 1960 and it was all one story and that maintained through the mid eighties. Um, and I think that's a mistake that, that the superhero publishers made. Um, I think they should have tried to keep that together, but that's not, you know, that's not your experience of superheroes and you still like them. So there's Damn. not like one if, way to do it. If right? you would have been, well, I guess if you wouldn't have chose comics to get interested in 74, you could have just been interested in Watergate. We would have had a whole completely different conversation. I would have had it on here for something else. You know, one of my memories of that time, two memories of, of Watergate. One is that um, we, we, my parents were out 
and we needed a lot of fire, so we just used the newspaper and we burned the Nixon resigns newspaper. You know, the big in like I think it was red is like this big and red font. And my mom had wanted to keep that. Um, but the other one was I was at uh friend Steve Sandomirsky's house. I was actually just there for my 40th high school reunion. His dad, Frank, who was a college professor like my dad. Anyway, and on the TV, the adults were really worried because there is this um, gate, right? And it had all this water behind it. And uh, I they were worried about, they kept talking about the water gate, right? And it was, it was I thought it was going to break like and flood. And we were all going to get flooded because the water the, was going to break through the water. That's literally what I thought Watergate was when I was, you know, eight years old, nine years old. I thought it was the parent, the, the adults were really concerned about this flood. That's interesting. Yeah, my show has been largely focused on the 60s and 70s, uh, largely Kennedy stuff and Nixon stuff, where, I mean, I don't know, it's a fascinating time period for me. That counterculture is really something. Um, I really enjoy the artwork that's on there. If you know who Abe Peck is, he wrote for the Chicago Seed that had some of the best artwork on the counterculture. I had him on the show to talk about it a little bit. But damn, the way that people can express their creativity to me is what's fascinating. I think you still see that with comics today. I just wonder if it's going to, the essence of it is getting diminished and if it's going to be lost in the future, even with the medium changing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, that's kind of a... Because the counterculture of the 70s ain't the counterculture of today. A tweet yeah. does not hit the same as a magazine. But it can't be, you know. I mean, there's a thing, and, and this is probably a it fake. Could. But it could. Somebody translated, um, there's an Aristotle thing where it's either Aristotle or Plato saying, kids these days, ugh. You know, um, and, and uh, you know, there's also, uh, this is from, I think, Aristophanes, it's from a Greek playwright, and it was basically like, oh, things were good back in the days of Marathon. You know, uh, we were united, um, the Battle of Marathon, right? And so, you know, the, the good old days are always about 40 years ago, but I'm old enough now that I remember 40 years ago. And so students say like, oh, yeah, I'm really into the 80s stuff. And I'm like, oh, because I was rem I remember when that came out. And what I think about that now is, is, you know, when Happy Days came out in the 1970s, right? That was only 20 years away from the 1950s, which meant that my dad, who was, you know, in the 70s, like in 1975, he would have been, let's see, 1930, he would have been 45, right? And that meant that Happy Days was about the time when he was 25. And, you know, 20 years ago now is the early, it's the aughts. It's not that long ago. Um, and so that past always seems to, I don't know, be kind of far away and things have, have changed. And of course, the world is always getting worse. But, you know, I watched a lot of crap and let her lot of, read a lot of crap. I, I went back and I was going to read through all the Spider-Mans on an app and I just got into it. I was like, these are bad. And it was from, it was from really about the period. The reason I started uh, when I did is I started like, well, when did I stop reading them? And I, 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 you know, started from that point and read forward. And I was just like, these are, these are just bad. Like these aren't good. 
And, and that's why I stopped reading those because I wasn't enjoying them. They were not good. And so, you know, people are people and stuff will come and go. Um, but in a sense, our, our relationship with art will, will always be what it is. You know, we enjoy it. We, we get passionate about some of it. We ignore other parts of it, but it will change. And, uh, and, but if it didn't change that, so I, I don't think that, I don't think there's any, you know, things do change and things do go away, but I don't, I don't think that, um, that it's bad. It, I mean, you can miss it, but there will always be sort of the true thing there. Um, you know, there will always be people making comics who get it, and there will always be people making comics who don't get it. But, um, eh. Mr. Now, I enjoy your perspective. It's why I wanted to have you back on here again. But is there a place where people can find your links, Mr. Coogan? No, I'm not uh, particularly active on uh, on social media or doing anything um, these days. I've got some projects that I'm working on that um, hopefully I will be. But I mean, I'm on Facebook, but not for any particular thing. I do have the Institute of Comic Studies on Facebook, but I'm not I super active. Yeah, I'm not active on it. So, but I, mm. I, I kind of have an idea that there's a bunch of things I'm going to do. <laughs> and I hope, and I've been going to do them for uh, at least like a, for about the past 15 years. Um, and so, you know, hopefully I'll get to that. If I don't, though, it's okay because. Who do you remember from a hundred years ago, right? You da Vinci. know, yeah, if it's right from that from eight five eight hundred years ago, like one person. So eventually, we all pass, and that's okay. Jeez, and then on the high note on that one, but I'll link your book links in there, and obviously, if you get one of your projects done, I'm happy to have you back on to discuss some yeah. more. But I'll uh, when my book comes back out, I'll uh, be happy to come back on and promote it. Well, thanks everybody for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank. Stay tuned for our next episode.